As Jasmine mentioned, my name is Moses Shoyola. I am one of the lay elders here at Lower Manhattan Community Church, and uh, it's just great to be with all of you this morning. It's great to worship with all of you. Um, we've been traveling a lot this summer, so this is one of the few Sundays that we've been here, like a lot of people in New York, and so it's just really great to be back with everybody. Um, as Jasmine mentioned, we're beginning this new series, Equipping for Kingdom Work. We're going to spend the month of August talking about how we can be equipped to do the work of God's kingdom. And you've got me this week. Next week, Craig Mays is back. He brought us a great message to kick off the Sermon on the Mount series. And then the last week of August, Seth Bazakis, who's a pastor at Wellspring Church, uh, will bring the final message in this series. Um, so this morning, I'm going to kick it off. Uh, but let me pray, and then we'll get into it. Father, we just um, thank you. We thank you for the opportunity to gather and worship you and glorify you and to hear your word. So um, as we dive into this message, I just pray that your spirit is here, that you are the one speaking, um, that you meet every single person um, as you would like to. Lay it all at your feet. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so today, we're going to be talking about something that we all need in order to do kingdom work. It's the name of a popular soap brand. In 2021, it was the 407th most popular baby girl name, and it's the second fruit of the Spirit. Today, we're going to be talking about joy. So show of hands, how many people feel joyful this morning? Don't be shy. Oh, that's, that's, a, good, that's a good number. Now, how many people don't feel joyful this morning? I'll, I'll start. I'll start. I won't be shy. Who else? Anybody else? No? Okay. Um, I'll confess, and I imagine that there are some of you out there who just were too shy to raise their hands, but I'll confess that I found myself in the joyless camp a lot in recent months and years, and it's not a great place to be in. It's not fun. It's not fun to wake up in the morning and wish the day were already over. It's not fun when the things that you normally enjoy have lost all relish whether that's friends or family or good music or good food. It's not fun when you feel like you're wasting away in joylessness. It's not a great place to be in. And I imagine, given the events of the last few years and months in the world, in society, there's a lot of us that may have lost joy or find ourselves in a place of joylessness from time to time. And so this morning, I want us to go on a journey in search of joy. I want to do that in four parts. First, I just want to look at why joy is important. Second, I want to try to understand what joy is and what it isn't. Third, I want to look at what causes us to lose our joy. And finally, I want to spend some time just looking at the most joyful person who's ever lived. So why is joy important? What is joy and what isn't joy? What causes us to lose it? and the most joyful person who's ever lived. So first, why is joy important? Why does joy matter? And of course, the obvious reason is that joy feels good. By definition, joy is a feeling of happiness, but there are other reasons beyond our individual pleasure. And the first is that scripture just places great emphasis on joy. The words joy or joyful or rejoicing are seen over 400 times in scripture. In Psalm 16, in your presence, in God's presence, is fullness of joy. 
You can't read the Gospels or go through the New Testament without seeing an expression of joy or an encouragement to rejoice. In Philippians 4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. In 1 Thessalonians 5, rejoice always. Over and over, Scripture emphasizing rejoicing, emphasizing joy. And so just based on that, it seems to matter a lot. But beyond the airtime in Scripture, another reason why joy is important is that it's attractive. It's attractive to other people. Several years ago, I read this book. It was called Spiritual Depression, and it's by a theologian from from Wales named Martin Lloyd-Jones. And reading the book and applying its lessons helped me out of a super dark place. And I actually picked it back up this week. Um, And I reread two of the chapters, and both began with very similar statements by Martin Lloyd-Jones. He says this, Whether we like it or not, the fact is that the world still judges God and the Lord Jesus Christ by what it sees in us, and we cannot blame them for that. We make certain claims. The very designation of Christian, which we apply to ourselves, is a claim and a challenge, and the world is entitled to look at us. You are making a great claim, says the world, and then, it, then looking at us, it says, is that Christianity? Is that the thing to which you are inviting us? There can be no question at all, and let us be clear about this, that the thing above everything else that accounts for the fact that the masses of the people are outside the church today is the condition of those of us who are inside the church. If we are joyless and we call ourselves followers of Jesus, the world has every right to look at us and say, no thanks, I'll take my chances without Jesus. The world has every right to skip Jesus. But if we have joy, that's attractive, that's inviting. People can look at us and say, I'll have what they're having. I wanna get me some of that. So joy is important because it's attractive. Last reason joy is important is that it gives us strength. It gives us energy to get things done. It gives us energy to meet others' needs and to do the work of God's kingdom. Many of us have heard the verse, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the full passage in Nehemiah, the people are sorrowful, they're grieving. And Nehemiah says to them, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The people are grieving, and Nehemiah says, go and enjoy the things that make you happy. Go and experience joy. Go and get the joy of the Lord. Why? So that you can send to those who have nothing, so that you can glorify God on this day that is holy to him. Joy gives us strength. It gives us energy. We know this intuitively. One of the ways that we express that we're depressed is we say we can't get out of bed in the morning. Don't have the strength to get up because we're lacking in joy. It's because joy gives us strength. Joy gives us energy. So those are the reasons that joy is important. It's emphasized over and over and over again in Scripture. It's attractive. It makes our faith attractive to others, and it gives us strength. So next, I just want to look at what joy is and what it is not. And one thing I found is that having an incorrect understanding of what joy is and what it isn't can make things worse when I'm in a place of joylessness. Because I might question the whole of my faith, thinking that as a true believer in Jesus, I'm never supposed to experience a lack of joy. 
And then I get down on myself about that, and it's a whole nother spiral. And so it's good to get a correct understanding of what joy is and what it isn't. And so let's start with what it is and where it comes from. There are lots of definitions of joy out there. The Oxford Dictionary says joy is a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. Merriam-Webster's Dictionary says joy is the emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune, or by the prospect of possessing what one desires. But in my research, I think the best definition of joy I found came from John Piper, which he based on scripture and defines joy as a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. Joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. Now, some observations about this. Joy is a feeling. A lot of resources out there will say that joy is not a feeling. And I disagree with those, and I believe the Bible disagrees with those. Joy is a feeling. It's not something that comes from your head. It's not a thought. It's not a conviction. It's not a matter of the will. It's a feeling. It's an emotion. It's something that happens outside of our immediate control. And so if it's something that happens outside of our immediate control, the only way to do things that we have no immediate control over is by relying on something greater than ourselves, by relying on Jesus and the power of his spirit. Which leads to the next observation about joy. It's produced by the Holy Spirit. We get this from Galatians 5, from the fruits of the spirit. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Joy is something that grows in us as a result of having Christ's spirit. And the illustration of fruit is a powerful one because fruits don't grow on demand. You can't plant an apple seed and expect an apple in 30 minutes or less. Fruit requires watering, nurturing, pruning, and most of all, time. Joy is the same way. It requires time to develop and cultivate. It requires nurturing and pruning, and if we don't cultivate it by filling ourselves with Jesus, it can shrivel and die. So what is joy? It's a good feeling that we don't have immediate control over, and it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit that we have to cultivate and water and prune. Now, we might hear all of this and think, that to be a follower of Jesus means having to express what I like to call fake joy. We all know fake joy, we've all seen fake joy. The person whose life is falling apart and says, praise God, I'm an overcomer. It's not real. Fake joy is the person who has something to really feel bad about, an awful circumstance. And rather than being vulnerable about it, talks in platitudes, about God being good all the time. It's not real. Yes, we are overcomers. Yes, God is good all the time. The Bible says that that is true, but Jesus doesn't want our platitudes. He wants us to be real about what we're experiencing, which means that true joy is not the absence of sadness or other negative emotions. Joy is not commanded to the exclusion 
of negative emotions. It's okay to experience sadness. It's okay to experience grief. It's okay to experience frustration and anguish. And when you read the Psalms, this is what you see. David does not just say, praise God, I'm an overcomer. David cries out in Psalm 42, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? In Psalm 44, why, God, do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? He cries out, why? Why am I in trouble? Why is everything not working out? Why does everything suck? Why, why, why? And Jesus affirms this approach because in his darkest moment on the cross, Jesus quotes David in Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So joy is not the absence of sadness, grief, anguish, or other negative emotions. It's not a false veneer of happiness in the middle of awful circumstances. So now that we know what joy is and what it isn't, let's talk about what causes us to lose our joy. And the answer is lots of things. That book I mentioned, Spiritual Depression, has 21 chapters, each one dedicated to a different thing that causes us to lose our joy, whether that's regrets about our past, fear of the future, a lack of faith, jealousy, weariness, many things cause us to lose our joy. But today I just wanna focus on what I see as the primary reason we lose joy. And that primary reason that we lose joy is that we depend on the wrong things for our joy. Main reason that we lose our joy is that we depend on the wrong things for our joy. Our joy is way too dependent on our circumstances. Our circumstances matter way too much. So we lose joy when our circumstances aren't what we want them to be. It's not about putting a false veneer of gladness on bad circumstances and pretending things are okay when they're not. We should grieve when we lose a loved one. We should be in agony when we fail at something. We should feel badly when things don't go our way, but our joy should not be entirely dependent on how things go. When our joy is in our circumstances, when it's dependent on our well-being, our success, our good fortune, when our joy is dependent on the health of our loved ones, the affirmation of our friends, well, those are all very flimsy foundations to build our joy on. And if we make our joy dependent on those things, at one point or another, we're going to end up joyless because our circumstances are going to change. We're gonna lose loved ones. We might get fired. Things might not always be up and to the right. When that happens, our joy needs to be in something greater, something more stable, something more unshakable than our circumstances. And of course, that something greater, that something more stable, that something more unshakable than our circumstances isn't a something, but a someone, it's Jesus. It's Jesus we should be depending on for our joy. To grow the fruit of joy, we have to be consistently watering it by fixing our eyes on Jesus Christ. Taking in and meditating on stories of Jesus. Being enraptured by Jesus and worshiping him. Reminding ourselves of what he says about us. 
Reminding ourselves that he says in Matthew 6 not to worry about our circumstances, not to worry about our life, what we will eat, what we will drink, what we will wear. Reminding ourselves what he says in John 16, that, he, that we will have trouble and he's already overcome it. Reminding ourselves what he says in Matthew 11, that he promises rest if we just hitch ourselves to him. Reminding ourselves that there's no condemnation in him and nothing, not death, not life, not anything in this world or out of this world can separate us from, our, from his love for us. When we depend on Jesus for joy, we depend on something, on someone more solid than our circumstances, someone bigger than our circumstances, someone more lasting than our circumstances. And so when our circumstances change, we might feel downcast, might feel agony, we might be in anguish, but our joy isn't destroyed because it doesn't depend on those things, it depends on him. Which brings us to the last part of today's message, the most joyful person who's ever lived, and that's Jesus. And I just want us to continue looking at Jesus as our model for joy. Like I said, Jesus is the most joyful person who has ever walked this earth. We see this throughout the Gospels. His first miracle, he's at a wedding, they run out of wine, he wants to keep the party going. They want to keep the party going, so Jesus helps them out. All his parables, celebration is a key element. A shepherd loses one out of a hundred sheep. He finds it, he comes back, he throws it on his shoulders, he has a celebration. A woman loses one of her ten precious coins. She finds it, she invites all of her neighbors to celebrate with her. A man's son takes off, squanders his inheritance, then he comes to his senses, he returns. The man kills his best cow, throws a Wagyu feast for his son. Celebration is a cornerstone of Jesus' parables. He's all about rejoicing. He's full of joy. His first public message, the Sermon on the Mount that we spent all of July looking at, it starts with joy. The first passage, the Beatitudes, say, blessed are the poor, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, blessed are the merciful and the peacemakers, and the persecuted. And blessed is one of those words that we've over-spiritualized when really it just means happy. It just means joyful. So he's really saying joyful are the poor. Joyful are those who mourn. Joyful are the meek. Joyful are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Joyful are the merciful, the peacemakers, the persecuted. And he says to all these groups of people that they can rejoice and be exceedingly glad. He's all about joy. His message is a guide to joy, a guide to what will cause us to rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Jesus was so joyful that they slandered him as a glutton and a wine-bibber because he liked to go to the feasts and he liked to have a joyful time. And Jesus' message of joy all comes to a beautiful climax the night before he dies. That night he's teaching his disciples a lot. He washes their feet. He teaches them about serving one another. He teaches them about the Holy Spirit. He teaches them about the persecutions they'll experience. And then in John 15, he teaches them that the most important thing for them to do through all of it is to abide in him. And then he says the point of all of it. In John 15, 11, the verse that Jasmine read earlier, he says, I have spoken these things to you that my joy may remain in you 
and that your joy may be full. I have spoken these things to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. The goal of all Jesus' teachings on the night before he dies, the object of abiding in him is ultimately their joy. His joy being in them, their joy being full, their joy being complete. Full joy, complete joy. I would love to have that. The kind of joy that nothing else can top. The kind of joy where I can confidently say I need nothing else. That's the kind of joy Jesus was offering the disciples. That's the kind of joy he offers us. And he can offer it because he has it. He had complete joy. And, if he, knew, and he knew that if they had what he had, if we have what he has, we'd have complete and unbeatable joy, the kind of joy that nothing can top and the kind of joy that nothing can diminish. He's telling them they're going to be persecuted, yet their joy won't diminish. He's telling them that they're going to be humiliated, yet their joy won't diminish. He's telling them that he's going to die, their master, their teacher, their friend, and yet their joy won't diminish. Nothing can diminish the kind of joy that Jesus has, not even a brutal execution on the cross. I love what Hebrews 12 says about him, as it tells us to look to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Why did Jesus endure the cross? Why did Jesus do everything he did? Why did he teach what he taught? All for joy. Everything he did was for joy, for his joy and our joy, for his joy to be in us and for our joy to be complete, unbeatable, and unshakable. So if we find ourselves in a joyless place today, Or maybe we're in a joyful place, but we realize it might be kind of hollow. It might be built on the sinking sand of our circumstances. Let's stop looking at our circumstances, not to ignore them, not to pretend they don't exist, but because they aren't central. And let's look at the most joyful person who's ever walked the earth. Let's fix our eyes on the one who promises to eventually wipe away every tear. Let's fix our one's our eyes on the one who gives us reason to rejoice and be glad. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus. Let's let him be the foundation of our joy. Let him turn our sorrow into gladness. Let his joy be our strength. Let his joy be in us so that our joy might be complete, unbeatable, and unshakable. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, we come to you knowing that you have joy for us. The announcement of your birth was good tidings of great joy, and we know that's on offer. Um, And some of us 
are lacking in that kind of joy. So I just pray now by the power of your Holy Spirit that you shine your face on each and every one of us. That you help us to see you and all of your glory and all of the joy that you have available for us. Help us to look beyond the things we're going through and just look to you. That we can have joy in you. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray this. Amen.